Good morning. It's good to see everybody out today. I want to welcome you and welcome those watching or listening online. And let's give the praise team another hand. They did great. I'm thinking the rain and weather may have kept some people at home. Um, came a bad storm last night, so thankful. But I'm thankful to be here with you. We're going to start a new series today called Cancel culture, and I know that you all know what I'm talking about, you've heard about it, um, you've seen it in the news, uh, maybe you're tired of hearing about it, well, we're going to talk about it some more today, and, and next week, we're going to do a two-week series, and so just just stay with me, but I think it's interesting that it has been almost exactly a year since our lives, all of our lives, have been turned upside down from the pandemic, right? And remember when that started, how things began to be canceled, and it just seemed to have this snowball effect. Um, you know, there was a period of there of a, of a month or two months where we, we didn't meet as a church, and we did the online thing. And, and then you started seeing, you know, graduations get canceled, and proms, and, and, and weddings even, right? And, and sports, entire sports seasons got canceled. And it was just so very, very frustrating. But it's, it's so ironic um, that now, today, we find ourselves talking about cancellation in a, in a different context. Um, we, we, we see that if, if you as a person or a group of people or a business or an organization says something or does something that offends somebody, hey, you might get canceled, right? And it's getting crazy. It's getting... Uh, to the extreme. I know that you've seen some of these things. I'll mention a few of them, but there could be a lot more that I don't know about. But Uncle Ben's rice, all right, like the the rice that I love so dearly, um, is is being canceled because it is offensive. Uh, the image, you know, the the marketing there is is offensive to some people. How about Aunt Jemima, or is it Aunt? Does anybody say Aunt Jemima? It's Aunt for me, right? Aunt Jemima is offensive to people, and so, you know, pancakes will just never be the same for me. Uh, Mr. Potato Head, <laughs> maybe you had one of those growing up. Hey, but Mr. Potato Head offends people, so we got to get, get rid of rid of him. Um, the Redskins, man, some of you are glad the Redskins got canceled. <laughs> but, I mean, so so the name... All right, the, the name the Redskins is offensive, and so guess what? We're not going to call them that. We're going to call them the Washington football team. This sounds so much better, right? Um, most recently, and I still don't really understand this, but Dr. Seuss, uh, some of his work is getting canceled. Some of our favorite Disney movies like Dumbo, um, you know, getting canceled because it's offensive. And did you know this, that Space Jam, one of my favorite movies. Remember Space Jam with Michael Jordan and, you know, the Looney Tune cartoons? There's a sequel coming out. There's a part two, and I'm excited about it until I heard this, that Pepe Le Pew is not going to be in the sequel because he offends people. And I just don't get that. I, I love Pepe Le Pew, don't you? Right? I mean, I just, there's so many, so many things that guys can learn from him about women, right? I mean... <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with kissing all the way up a woman's arm. I mean, I don't know. But Pepe Le Pew. 
So in Oral Roberts, so if you follow March Madness with college basketball, uh, Oral Roberts, a f- number 15 seed, had made it to the Sweet 16. They played last night, lost by just a couple of points to Arkansas. But, uh, you know, just an amazing story there. But listen, they are a private, religious university, and there was a push for them to be expelled from the NCAA tournament because of their stance against homosexuality. Right? Just, hey, if you don't like it, you people want to cancel it. We are easily offended. We are an intolerable society. And rather than forgive, we want to fight. Rather than try to understand, guess what we want to do? We want to eliminate. We are in a cancel culture. We are. But the interesting thing is cancel culture isn't anything really new. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came on the scene a little over 2,000 years ago, do you know what he did? He said some things that offended people. He did some things that people didn't like. And what did they try to do? Tried to cancel him. They sure did. Well, what I want to do today is walk you through how much of an effort was made to cancel Jesus, okay? Um, Many of us know the story of Jesus' birth, but did you know that shortly after he was born, a king tried to cancel Jesus? King Herod did. We all sort of are familiar with this story. Wise men, these wise men, these magi from the east, these guys are really smart, okay? They, they were not only astrologers, but they were historians, and they had, they had been looking at a lot of documents and looking at a lot of astrology and, and reading things, and they saw this star, and they followed it to Jerusalem, and, and they went to, to Herod, and they said, where, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod's like, well, wait a minute, that, I, that's me. I'm king, right? And so naturally he just starts uh, becoming paranoid and, and angry and, and jealous and very suspicious. And this guy was paranoid and crazy already. He had uh, killed some of his family members because he thought they were a threat to his crown. And now there's word that, that a baby has, is threatening his rule and his reign. And no, 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 he's not going to stand for it. I'm going to want to try to cancel him. Matthew 2.13 says this, when they had gone, that is the wise men, when they had returned back home, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. All right, and this is uh, historically speaking, such a tragic event in history. An order was given to kill every male child under the age of two. Wow. Um, so many children lost their lives in this tragic event. Um, and, and, it's, and Jesus barely escaped, escaped that. He was... He was almost canceled shortly after he was born. Now, moving on in Jesus' life, there's not a lot of time mentioned uh, in the Bible between 
the young Jesus and the young man Jesus, right? We don't get a whole lot of the teenage years, but um, as soon as Jesus began his ministry, well, rather before Jesus began his ministry, Satan tried to cancel him. The enemy tried to cancel Jesus before he even got started. Jesus was baptized, and we some of us know that story. He was baptized by John the Baptist, and, and right after his baptism, Jesus went into the wilderness, and he spent some time there praying and, and fasting and, and being with God the Father and getting ready for what lay ahead of him. And in that time is when the enemy went to him in his weakness, when he was hungry, when he was tired, right? Um, went to him to try to get him to fail, to get him to give up. And we know this, we know the temptations. Hey, you know, Jesus, I know you're hungry. There's plenty of rocks out here. Make, make one of them a loaf of bread and satisfy your hunger. Or, you know, Jesus, we're on top of this building here. You know, throw yourself down. And, and if you are the son of God, angels will come and save you. You just, you, you, you just do that and prove to everybody. Go ahead right now, right here, prove to everybody who you are. And then there's this in Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says this, All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Do you see how hard the enemy is trying here to get Jesus to fail, to get him to stop, to cave in, to quit, and man, it would have been so easy for Jesus to bow down to Satan and, and not even mean it, but just out of like tiredness and, and hunger, okay, whatever, I'm going to do it. It would have been so easy for him to have done that. And what would have happened if he did? It would have been over. It been over. Jesus didn't do that, though, thankfully. And he fought he fought the enemy with God's word every time he overcame it. So Jesus was almost canceled at his birth. The enemy tried to cancel him before Jesus even got started. Um, this, this one might surprise you, though. Uh, people that knew Jesus tried to cancel him. People in Jesus' own hometown. Um, when we think about where you're from, our hometowns. Most of us are from small towns. Some of you, many of you are from Richlands. Many of you may be from Cedar Bluff or Rosedale or Lebanon or Tazel or whatever. You know, I'm from Pound, very small, small town. And what do you think of when you think of returning to a small town? You think of a warm welcome, don't you? Um, I mean, I know that that's how it was for me. It's not like that way anymore, right? Um, but when I first, you know, moved and, and would come back, you know, there was this, you know, warm welcome. There was this this good good experience for my life. It was it was like a hallmark type, you know, reunion going back to the hometown. Well, for Jesus, his hometown was Nazareth. Born in Bethlehem, grew up grew up in Nazareth, and so he returned back home. And it did not take long at all for Jesus to offend people. Um, after his temptation, Jesus went to Nazareth, and, and by this time, he had picked up a few uh, followers. A, a little crowd was, was building for him. He had done a little teaching, of a few miracles, and so there was this group of people following him, and upon his arrival in Nazareth, 
Jesus goes into the synagogue. Now, a synagogue is, is not the temple. Every town had a synagogue, and it's sort of like a church slash school. And so it was a place of worship, but also a place of instruction. And so Nazareth had its own synagogue, and so that's where Jesus went. And um, they would have people there each and every day that would read the scroll, read the Old Testament scrolls. And a scroll is, you know, we have Bibles uh, now. A scroll would be like a, a paper towel roll, right? You know what I mean, rolled up. And so Jesus went in, sat down. They hand, handed him a scroll randomly, all right? And, and he opened it and read it. And it said this. It, it's from Isaiah. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wow. Now, isn't that a coincidence that you're just handed a scroll and you open it up and it says that? <laughs> now, that was fine with everybody. They were all good. They're, they might have even said amen, right? Until until Jesus looked at everybody, handed on, rolled up the scroll, handed it back, and said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in front of you and they're like whoa wait a minute wait wait what wait we know this guy he grew up here isn't that mary and joseph's son and and they begin to question and they begin to to doubt and then jesus said this to them he said no prophet is welcomed in their hometown no prophet and when he said that they turned on him really really fast and when I say turned, look, they just didn't get offended. They got mad, like like crazy mad. You know anybody like that? Maybe you've been like that sometimes in your life. But they got crazy, crazy mad. Luke four twenty eight says this: All the people in the synagogue were furious, furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Whoa, what? Just because he said something that offended me, I'm, I'm going to throw a guy off a cliff? That's where they were at. That's what they were doing. They were so offended by this. And I think it's interesting, it says here, verse 30, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that because I don't know what happened there. I don't know if Jesus like juked them or did a spin move or, you know, just just walked right through them sort of mysteriously. We don't know, but he says he he was like, no, no way this is happening now. Walked right through them and went on his his way. Um, man, that's not the that's not the homecoming that most of us would picture, is it? All right. Jesus offended them, and they wanted him canceled. And it gets worse. If you think uh, if you think your hometown turning against you is bad, is hard, what about your own family? Right? I know many of us, most of us, have experienced family tension, family relationships, right? that just go south family rejection to a degree that's difficult isn't it it's painful hurts supposed to be my supposed to be my family my flesh and blood supposed to have my back 
Right? You're supposed to love me when nobody else does. It hurts when it's family. Jesus' own family tried to cancel him. At some point in Jesus' ministry, members of Jesus' own family, including, including, including his mother, okay? His mother tried to stop him. They did. And Jesus had what was well into his ministry, so what started in Nazareth as a few people had grown into a large crowd. There were crowds, big crowds following him from town to town. And by this time, look, he was speaking boldly. He was proclaiming boldly, and he was doing amazing miracles. He was casting out demons. He was healing people. And, and he had formed a team around him. He had gotten so busy, right? He had called his disciples. And look, they had very little time to rest, to take care of themselves, to relax, or even eat. And notice Mark 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house. And again, notice there, that word again there, because this kept happening over and over. And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to, to eat. Notice this verse 21. When his family heard about this, heard, right? He got through the grapevine. That's how people hear about things, right? Gossip, rumors. When his family heard about this, what had happened, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Jesus' family. And if you read that in Mark 3, his mother's right there with him. They went to take charge of him. Take him by force. Take control of him. Why? Why? Thought he was out of his mind. Now, I do believe in this context, unlike the crowd in Nazareth, I believe his family, they were naturally and honestly concerned for Jesus, okay? I don't think it was necessarily a hatred for him because, you see, they didn't want to expel him. They wanted to take charge of him. They wanted to control him. But here's what I also believe. I also believe they were embarrassed by him, okay? I believe, I believe they honestly cared for him, but I also believe they were embarrassed by him. This guy is saying some crazy things. I know he's doing good. We love him, but he won't stop. He will not stop, and it keeps getting larger and larger. He keeps talking to more and more people, but he keeps offending all these people. And actually, he's gone overboard here. He's out of control. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. He has lost his mind, and we've got to step in and stop him and do something about it, you see. You know, such a sad time. I wonder what Jesus was thinking. You know, the, the human part of Jesus. I wonder what he was thinking in this. Because we know that family hurts. Family hurts. You know, this is the last time that Jesus had an encounter with his own mother until the cross. As many of you may have, may have experienced that, this period of time in between there's this disagreement, there's this falling out, and, and you don't see somebody again until much later. That's painful, isn't it? After this, Jesus would not see his mother again until the cross. But you know, he, he looked around at the people around him, and he said, this is my family. 
this is my family. He was surrounded by sinners, people like you and me. These, this is my family. This is who I want to be around. Well, there's one more group that I want to talk to you about this morning. And this group here, this group really, really surprises me. And it should surprise all of us. But I think we've heard it so much now that we don't really think about it. But the, the faith leaders tried to cancel Jesus. Now, when I say faith leaders, I mean the religious leaders, right? The leaders of the Jewish faith. I want you to think about this with me. Bring it into today's context. This would be pastors of churches. This would be leaders of churches. This would be church boards, church councils, deacons, right? Deacon, whatever, whatever leadership structure that a church has, this would be this group of guys. Supposed to be godly guy, supposed to be a godly group, supposed to want what God wants and do what God does and long for God, right? It's supposed to be these guys. These were the people of faith, the leaders of faith. And if there's any group who should have been welcoming and excited about Jesus coming, it should have been them. As a matter of fact, they were the guys that talked to Herod when Jesus was born, told him that, hey, 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 the the Old Testament prophets say that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, right? That's how they knew. They were expecting a Messiah to come. It should have, they should have welcomed Jesus with open arms. But you know what? What did Jesus do? He offended them. He offended them. He said some things that they didn't like. He did some things that they did not approve of. He, he broke some traditions that they had just become accustomed to. And they wanted to cancel him. And at first, they tried to get him to mess up. We all know this. You know, they, they, they tested him. They tried to question him and see how much he knew about, about God's word. And, and they would try to trap him in a corner. And each and every time, Jesus, Jesus fall back and won. And, and it just frustrated them. And when, when that didn't work, then they tried to smear him. They tried to smear his image. Oh, this guy, he, he eats with sinners. Who does that? Who, who talks with prostitutes? Who does that? Who touches dead people? Nobody does that. They tried to smear his image and make him look bad. And when none of that worked, they resulted to saying that he was possessed by a demon. Kid you not. They did this. Right after, right after he healed a man who was demon possessed, they looked at him and said, There's no way. There's no way a man can do this. The only way that this could happen is if this is a prince of demons. And that's what they accused Jesus of being. They tried to make him fail by testing him. They tried to smear him. And then they tried to make him look evil. None of that worked. None of that worked. And when, that, when that, those things didn't work, they had to go to the extreme. I want you to notice Mark 14, 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. So you see there, everything that we have done didn't work. So we've got to come up with a secret plan, a special plan 
and we've got to kill Jesus. This is the only way that we're going to stop him, to cancel him. He, nothing else works. The only way is to kill him. Faith leaders attempting to murder someone. One of the big ten, right? Thou shalt not kill. Man. We know what happened after this, the scheme, the secret scheme. It did this happens really fast because the Passover, this is the Passion Week. This all happens within just a few days. So Judas is a part of the scheme. Judas is one of the twelve disciples. And for a bag of, of silver, he decides to give Jesus over to these guys. We know that the arrest is is made, and we know that the trials are all fake. Everything's fake. Even in the trials, they try to accuse Jesus, and they can't. They can't. And so they get people up there to lie. And we know what happens after this. He is sent to Pilate because legally, these guys can't kill anybody. They can't sentence anybody to death. Capital punishment was not available for them at all, but they wanted him dead. They wanted him dead. So they sent him to Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor. Pilate finds no fault in Jesus. He says, you guys are silly. Why are you sending me this guy? He hasn't done anything. I'm going to send him to Herod, another King Herod, different from when Jesus was born. But Herod was in the jurisdiction. He was over the governor, you see. So he was sent to Herod. Herod didn't find any fault in him. Herod said, this guy may be a little crazy, but he's not a criminal. Sends him back to Pilate. Pilate says, look, guys, Jesus is, he hasn't done anything wrong. I'm going to release him back to you. They went crazy, right? They said, we want him dead. Pilate said, okay, I know what I'll do. Each and every year, we have this custom where we release a prisoner. We do that just to show how favorable Rome is, how good Rome is. We'll release a prisoner for you. Here's the thing. You choose between this guy Barabbas and this guy Jesus, and that way it's on you. And you know what they did? Chose Jesus. Chose Jesus to to kill and to release Barabbas. You know, his own people. And, and, And look, the strange thing is, today's Palm Sunday, the people on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago that were saying, welcome, Hosanna, and all this stuff, were the same people that said crucify him on this day, on Friday. Same people. Somehow between Sunday and Friday, they got offended. I don't know. They turned pretty fast. Crucify him. Jesus was rejected by his own people. And we know Jesus was sentenced to death. In John 19.30, we find the last moments of his life. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, what that means is there that Jesus died. He, he died. And imagine I can imagine being there and seeing the people. It says a lot of a lot of people were around. It probably was mostly the people that wanted to see him dead, the religious leaders and all that. 
I just wonder what they were thinking. We did it. We, we did it. We finally did it. We, we, we tried so hard, and it's, hey, this is over, right? We tried to get Jesus to stop. He wouldn't. Now it's over, right? It look, look, after this, it looked like everybody got what they wanted. Jesus canceled. It looked like he was canceled. And look, we, we all know what's coming up next week, right, Easter Sunday. And we know that that's not what happened. I want to I go a different direction this morning. Um, even though his, for his whole life, Jesus faced cancellations, even though for his entire life, many efforts were made to cancel Jesus, do you know what? He was the one wanting to cancel all along. Did you know that Jesus was the one who wanted to come and cancel? Jesus was the one destined to cancel. You see, on the cross, what happened was Jesus canceled the sin of the world. Man, we look back and we see, man, why, Jesus? Why were you so strong? Why were you so determined to, to fight through all this stuff, to face all this stuff? to lose your family, to walk away from your own people. Why were you so determined? That's because he was on a mission, and that mission was to cancel the sin of the world. And I just thought about this this morning. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, John the Baptist is the guy that that baptized Jesus. When he saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb who comes to take away the sin of the world. That's why Jesus came. He came to take it away. He came to cancel it, right? And if we just look back at his whole life, we can see it. We can see it. He came to cancel sin. How did he do that? He did it through the cross. Did you notice that nothing could stop him? Nothing could stop him until the cross. He, he, he got to where he wanted to be. He got to the end of his road. He he accomplished his mission. He did it on the cross. And I love this section of scripture. I'm going to warn you, it's very, very deep, but I, but I love it. Colossians 2 verse 13 says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, that, that phrase means just your sin nature, your, your human sin nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave how many of our sins? All of our sins. All of them. He forgave all of of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned it. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Man, how good is that? That's what happened on the cross. Folks, um, we, we, we learn a lot from the Romans. A lot of things we do in America, we, we base it off of what we learned from the Romans as far as government and, and things like that, uh, criminal justice systems. and um, The Romans were very organized, very sophisticated. And for each and every criminal that, that they had, that they arrested, that they put in prison, they had what's called a certificate of debt or a record of debt. And what it would have on there is a written charge for the criminal. And so they would nail this 
on the outside of their jail cell. This is what this person has done. This is what they've been found guilty of. And, and um, you know, it's interesting the way Jesus' trial went. You know, he was arrested by Jewish people, okay, put in, a, put in the Jewish prison, and then was very quickly sent before Pilate, Rome. Jesus never spent time in a Roman cell. So, so to be organized, to be Rome, to be structured, they had to put a written charge for Jesus, and they nailed it on top of a cross. And what it said was, King of the Jews. You see, they, Rome didn't do that to make fun of Jesus at all. They did that because that's what they do. They did that because they were following protocol. They did that because they do that with every single person that is being arrested, put in prison, or punished. They give them a record of debt. It's a legal document. Now, the Jewish people didn't like it at all. Those Jewish leaders know that he's not our king. But to Rome, they're like, we don't care what you think. This is, the le- this is what we do. They nailed it to the cross. When... A prisoner served his sentence and was released. Uh, there, there, there's this word that is stamped across the document. It's called tetelestai. Okay, tetelestai. You probably won't remember that today, but when they served their sentence, this word was stamped across their certificate of debt. And you know what it means? Paid in full. Paid in full. And, and so they, they could take this charge, the person, the prisoner, could take this charge to show that they, they were legal now. They had paid their penalty because here's their charge, and then Tetelestai was stamped over top of it. Now they're free to go, and they're good. They're in good standing with, with people in the government. Do you know Tetelestai can also be translated, it is finished? Same. Same phrase, paid in full, it is finished. Jesus screamed to Telestai with his last words. It's finished. It's, it's, it's paid in full. This is such a big deal that all four Gospels mention, mention this right here. It's, it's done. And what Paul is saying is so profound here. He's, he's looking at, at, at Jesus and on the cross, and he said, the, the proof of your Tetelestai people is is nailed to the cross. It's Jesus. He's saying Jesus became your proof of payment. Nailed. Nailed there. Wow. That's what, you know, Scripture says when it says, He became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. In him. He became our payment, our satisfaction. Jesus became the certificate of debt for the sin of the world. And with his dying breath, he became the tetelestai, paid in full. It is finished. I just want to ask you this morning as we close, have you accepted God's gift of forgiveness through Jesus? It it's really comes down to that. The scripture teaches us that all of us are sinners. All of us have sinned. Each and every person. 
and it's through the flesh. With the fall of mankind ever since the beginning, the first fall, we flesh has just inherited it. It's our sin nature, and it cannot be cut away in and of, of ourselves. We can never do enough good things to win God's favor. It can never happen. Spiritually, we are dead. And so, look, have you accepted God's forgiveness? When you look at the cross there, I love the image of the cross. It's a crossroads. It's the end of death and the beginning of life. It's the end of the reign of sin and the beginning of the rule of grace. So look to the cross. That is how much God loves you. That, that is how far God is willing to go to forgive you. You have a choice to make. Believe in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. He canceled your sin. Now, for us, for those of you that are Christians, um, look, here's the thing. We still sin, don't we? Amen? We still sin. Nobody's, nobody's perfect out there. You still make mistakes. You still fall short. And look, what will happen many times is people will write you off. People will talk bad about you. People will try to cancel you. Your own family may shun you. I don't know. Here's the thing. The world will treat you one way if you mess up, but God never does. You see, God doesn't hold that sin against you because it's permanently, permanently nailed to the cross through his son. People may, may treat you poorly. People may treat you badly. God never will because of Jesus. So I've got to ask you this morning, or I've got to encourage you. I know many people are like this. If you mess up, pick your head up. You're not defeated. Actually, sin was defeated on the cross. Don't believe the lies the enemy tells you. You're forgiven forever. You, you, you live in the grace that God offers through the cross, you see. You're not defeated. You Don't carry around something that's been permanently nailed to the cross. Don't carry it around. Right? Don't pay... Don't keep paying for something that has already been paid in full by Jesus. The debt has been paid completely. Look, I want to finish with this, and then we're going to get to a time of communion. I love what Jesus read in Isaiah when he went to Nazareth. I love that. Think about this today. Jesus came to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So people, let's turn our eyes and our hearts to the cross and let's live in the grace and love that God has forever showed us there. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for your love and your mercy and grace. Father, when we look at Jesus and how determined he was to get to the cross, Father, it just blows us away. That's how much you love us. That's how much he loved us. Father, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to reflect on what you did for us at Calvary. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.